welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodical Podcast. Last week, we listened to a show unlike any other in Y Hockey, where I decided that in order to break up the monotony of yelling at Paul Maurice, I decided to see what would happen if we merged the uh, shutdown full cast with Y Hockey, and it went really well. I enjoyed it. But I know deep down in the heart of all of the great Y Hockey listeners, you do want to hear me yell about Paul Maurice. And you know I also have to keep my promises. I promised Corey Schneider would be on this show a while back, but... Scheduling snafus prevented us from getting to this point, but now Corey is here, and I'm really excited to have Corey back, one of our favorites. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Finally uh, made it on here. I mean, you've been busy. Your wife is pregnant, and it's wonderful to see. So, look, life gets in the way, but there are more important things in life than yelling at Paul Maurice. Yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of non-hockey things happening over here. <laughs> and I don't blame you. Look, we got you for however long, and that's good enough for me. I'm happy to have you on because. About a month ago, I think it was, you wrote something for McKean's on why the Panthers were a mess. And they kind of still are less of a mess than they were when you wrote that. And I think it was inspired by a bunch of people on Twitter who are very smart, like the evolving hockey twins, trying to figure out why they were bad and why their record was so terrible, even though their underlying numbers were pretty all right. And you wanted to dig into that. And obviously, since you are one of the people out here that we trust the most, we wanted to get what you thought and you wrote that in McKean's if you have McKean's go back and read it even if it's a month old a lot of the points still stand so what drove you to wanting to ask this question was it that general discourse you see on hockey twitter sometimes or was it just why is this team mediocre when they have the talent they have and the numbers they have well um it kind of started from when I was looking at one of Micah Blake McCurdy's charts and one of my favorite things to look at with him is how a team performs when the score is tied versus when they're trailing or when they're trying or whether they're trying to defend a lead. So with Florida, they have probably one of the most bizarre profiles on this site. So when the score is tied, they dominate. They're one of the best teams in the league offensively in tied games. But when they get a lead, they start to slip defensively, but they still create enough offense to probably win. But when they trail, when they're trailing, when, they down, when they're down by one, their offense is significantly less dangerous. They create all their shots. All their shots are coming from the perimeter, all the way from out of the blue line, nothing in front of the net. And they're also giving up a lot more chances than they create. So it's interesting because then I was looking at their overall numbers and they're actually outscoring their opponents at five on five. They're a positive team in goal differential by... <clears throat> By quite a bit, actually. I think they're around 52% still. I just checked the numbers before coming on here. And like at five on five overall, they look fine. But when, but they're obviously they're struggling. They're barely hanging on to a playoff spot as of today. They seem to win two games and then lose three. They have one great game where everything looks fine. And then the next two are just a disaster where it just seems like they can't get out of their own zone or do anything. So it's interesting because it's like a very odd case of just bad sequencing almost. Like I I, I kind of looked into whether or not they're a front-running team that kind of runs up the score on weaker opponents and then struggles against good teams. And that really wasn't the case as far – that really wasn't the case as far as that goes. But there are a lot of games where it's like they, they have a good game at five-on-five five or they just get blissed on special teams. Or they'll have a good game and they'll give up two goals within like a minute of each other and then the game's over because they can't play from behind. So it's, it's a very odd, it's a very odd team. And I'm trying to figure out why we were here and we're 60 games into this season 
And I still don't really have an answer. Now you in the Keens, you wrote about this and you told me the explanation. I ran it with our, our good friend and our co- my co-host Tommy, and he agrees with most of what you said. And so what's the best way then you can describe why they're so odd? Because you don't see teams with a profile like this, particularly a team this talented, and there's no other team in the league like it. Yeah, with them, it's just, I don't know, I feel like the roster is kind of a bad mix and they're kind of caught in between of what they feel like they should be doing and actually just playing what they know. And I think some of it goes back to just losing a guy like Mackenzie Weger on their blue line. Like, not that, I mean, Weger's a very good defenseman, but I just look at the guys that replaced him and they got Mark Stahl playing top four minutes still. And the thing with re- replacing Weger is he was, probably one of the most heavily taxed defensemen in terms of going back to retrieve the puck and start breakouts. And a lot of what Florida, <clears throat> a lot of Florida's offense last year came off of just plays. They were able to generate from the defensive zone where they just kind of, they cleared the zone, they build up speed and then started to attack the other way by getting the puck to like Duclair or for on the wings this year. This year, when they clear the puck, they kind of just concede the zone and just clear it out and let the other team come back at them. So that kind of allows for that allows that just leads you to get stuck in your own zone a lot more. And that's that might be why they're getting blitzed like in certain situations, why like they've why they're able to like dominate some games and struggle against others. Because Maurice, from what I remember from his time in Winnipeg, is he places a lot of responsibility on the forwards to get the puck out of the zone and he demands a lot from them in the defensive zone which is fine but which is fine especially like with Florida's defense maybe not being the most experienced but the problem is is that it really limits how much you can create in transition and that was a big part of Florida's game last year because like your your forwards are just so worn down from defending all the time and trying to get the puck out like in a game i was watching the other day i think they had four or five guys below the dots simply just trying to win a battle and get the puck out and like that just really hampers how much you can create with speed so i think it's just a matter of a lot of just it's a lot of small things just piling up and creating just a mess with with how their season has gone so I had called it in like November and December. I said, it's bad decisions on the margins. And you just said it's death by a thousand paper cuts. We're saying the same thing, but you said it more eloquently. And I think everyone, if you've watched enough Panthers games this season, if you're listening to our show, you, of course you have, like you watch. And early in the season when they were pretty bad at this, even as their numbers were good, you know, you'd look at the fact that they couldn't generate a ton of speed through the neutral zone. They weren't a great transition team, even though they generated a bunch of rush chances. It certainly wasn't last year. It's like they're trying to play the playoff style hockey in air quotes, even though they know. And I think Paul Maurice eventually recognized, I got to loosen the forwards up a little bit. So the McKean's piece that you wrote about uh, was focused on that Islander game right before the uh, Christmas break where they're awful. And I was like, that's the end of this. Like, I hope they don't give Connor Bedard to the Canadians, basically. And since then, I think he made a small tactical tweak. I don't know if you agree with this or not. It's just me watching and looking at some of the numbers very curt in a cursory way. I think he's loosened the forwards up a little bit since January, but I'm not entirely sure. And it's kind of helped them play a tiny bit better. But 
Like they're not as bad as they were earlier in the year. It's still not good. Still not anywhere near where they should be. Do you think it's because he's made a tweak to the system or is it just individual performances getting better, team getting a little healthier? What do you think? I, mean, I think it's definitely, definitely the team getting a little healthier because like a, there was a lot of guys who I didn't even recognize were in their lineup earlier. And I think they were playing down a forward too. For They played down a player um, at least like five or six times this year because of the salary cap stuff right. that they decided yeah. to put themselves in. And that there was one game where they played down defensemen. There were multiple <laughs> games where they played down a forward um, because of the cap and being right up against it where they had 18 players. And if one of them's hurt and it's not a long-term injury, well, you're screwed. Yeah. And I think uh, he definitely needed, he definitely needed to kind of loosen the reins and the forwards a little bit. And like, I was watching a recent game, I think it was against San Jose and their fourth line was starting to create some zone time. We're creating much offense, but they were keeping the puck down deep and which <clears throat> they weren't doing earlier because they kept just clearing the puck off the boards instead of trying to just skate it out and chip it in and just kind of play the territorial game, which Maurice doesn't really, usually he doesn't do, but um but I think it really, I think it goes back to just kind of a trickle down effect with their defense because Gustav Forsling, he like a guy like him, he is more comfortable in that three, four role instead of being one of the top guys on the team. Just because like he has like the, I mean, he, he has like the stamina to play those minutes, but like sometimes deep, you have to play longer shifts if you're going to be, if you're going to be a top defenseman, he gets when he's like worn down, his decision-making isn't the best. He gets beat a lot, especially along the boards. And same with like Brandon Montour. Montour like is a better skater than most of the, most of the guys on their blue line, but he gets really overwhelmed if he has to play in his own zone a lot. So he really had, Maurice definitely had to kind of say, okay, we can't win if we're going to play like this. So we need to kind of go back to how we were going, go back to how we were playing last year, just with trying to tilt the ice a little more instead of trying to protect the entire time. Cause like at this point, it's like you need to get in the playoffs rather than just trying to win in the playoffs. And I think maybe, maybe the light bulb went off there. Well, I think that some of it also comes from when you look at, he made one line change that, well, it worked and now it's not working. Funny enough, the Lundell Barkoff, uh, Reinhardt line, which were for a while worked. And also in January, the power play was like 40% after being pretty bad through most of the calendar year, 2022. Then in January, it was like 40%. It was insane. And they have two power play goals since the all-star break or something like that. They were really hot and cold. And I think, is it, is it the fact that, they, they're trying to do this, what at least Maurice and Bill Zito seem to think is playoff hockey, when the team is just not structured to do that. And now they're kind of getting back to being, you know, the rush-based team that they always, that's what Tommy was saying a while ago on some of our shows. It's like, this is a rush-based team. You got to kind of lean into your identity. And last year, because of what Tampa did to them, whether you think that was luck or not, I don't think so they kind of ran away from it. They got a little scared by their identity and they tried to change it. And they realized pretty quickly, you know, this is what we are. You can't tell a team of a bunch of, you know, speedy rush based guys, particularly with their blue liners to try to sit and defend and protect. They can't, they're not going to be able to do that. This team defended pretty well because they had the puck all the time and they're not going to be really good. If all of these players are going to have to try to, mark in the defensive zone for extended shifts they're not good at that this isn't you know one of those teams that can cope in that way and so 
they're still kind of fundamentally trying to figure out their identity and finding a way to add to their game. And I just don't think they know how to do that from the front office on down. They want to be like Tampa. They want to be like all these other teams that have gone pretty well in the playoffs that could play multiple styles, but I don't think they know how to do that. I don't think they actually know how to add to their game like this. Yeah. And I just don't think the roster is quite, is quite at the point where they can play any way they want to like a Tampa Bay, especially if uh, Bennett's out a little while, especially if Santa Bennett's out for a a while. I'm not really sure. I'm not sure how long he's going to be out for, but, um, but yeah, like the, when I was kind of reviewing their games for the piece I was writing, I had a few takeaways. It's like either they're coached to play to the score or they just do not, they just don't trust like the system or their coaching staff enough to kind of play, to play like, or stay, to stay like uh, composed, like when things go off script. Cause like, I don't know, I see this in, I mean, I saw this with Carolina back when uh, Kirk Muller and Bill Peters were the coach up there because there were a lot of games where if things went as planned for them, they looked like a very good team who who can compete for a playoff spot despite having an undermanned roster because things were going well. They were getting saves. They were attacking. They were seeing a few pucks go in. They were dominating on the shot clock. But the second, like they, the second a mistake happened because like mistakes are going to happen. Like they just kind of, they just kind of just lost their composure and just like let the game get out of hand. Like even those, it was all always in like two or three minute stretches where just things would go off the rails and then they just don't know how to play. They don't know how to play from behind aside from like just taking perimeter shots and hoping to get a rebound, which they were not good at with Florida. I thought they'd be a little better with that just because they have bark off and he's one of the best guys at at scoring off rebounds and Reinhardt's usually pretty good about kind of creating extra plays around the net. But I do wonder if like the, just the talent drain they had on the roster is kind of affecting like what their plans were heading into this year, because when they hired Maurice, I wasn't really optimistic, but I also thought, okay, his team, his team's in Winnipeg. They made the playoffs at least like most of his time there. Like they kind of leaned on Connor Hellebuck to make that happen. But I was like, maybe the forwards are good enough to where Maurice can lean on them and they can be a playoff team. But it just really hasn't. It really hasn't been that way. But but uh, I don't know. I kind of look at where they are now, and it's like they still might make the playoffs. And Winnipeg, after they lost Buffalo and Truba and all their defensemen, they were a bubble playoff team too. So maybe this is what maybe this is what the team is supposed to be. Well, it's interesting because when we looked at what they were doing after last season and they hire Maurice, they didn't expect obviously trade for Matthew Kachuk. And I think that put a little bit more of the, uh, we're kind of quasi rebuilding this year because last year we went all in, it didn't work. You know, we got to kind of recoup assets. We're going to be in a little bit of cap hell, but you know, that was going to happen anyway. Then they trade for Matthew Kachuk and, you know, it's really funny also this year because they're getting like Kachuk is one of the best four or five forwards in the league this year. Absolutely insane. Barkov's having a Barkov season when he's healthy. Most of the top six, even without Duclair is playing pretty well. You're getting Brandon Montour, who when he's not defending is actually playing a pretty, you know, consistent game for the first time in Florida. Ekblad's looking better and they're just mid. It's really frustrating that they're wasting a year of a lot of these 
you know, these stars who are playing the way you would think they would for my biggest concern with Paul Maurice is not necessarily the system, although the system is definitely not great. It's the Paul Maurice things that every Winnipeg fan would just lose their minds over. Like Mark Stahl should not be playing every game, every single night in key minutes. And yet Paul Maurice has him do that. Eric Stahl. I mean, I know Paul, you liked him when you had him in Carolina all those years ago. It's not 2009 anymore. You know, he shouldn't be first penalty kill. He shouldn't be an every night NHL player. Like some of the decisions he makes and the fact that he seems so reactive, you know, to tweaking the system a little bit in January when things were going really badly, you know, to the fact that the power play goes hot and cold and it takes him so much to change it. Those are the Paul Maurice things that are costing this team games when you're already, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. And on this, and in this league, every marginal decision you make is so critical. Like it's those kind of things that are just, that would, that drives Panthers fans insane. And the fact that they're having such great years from their stars is kind of why they're here to begin with. And it feels like simultaneously the stars are kind of dragging this team upwards while also they're being let down by the fact that their coach is doing what their coach said and intimated he wasn't going to do. And yet he's still kind of done plenty of. Yeah. I kind of looked at, uh, I'm kind of looking at their numbers from their forwards right now, just like with the stats that I track and like their bottom six is just a huge drag <laughs> and there's not really any other way to put it. Cause yeah, their top six is still creating a lot because every time I post a Panthers chart, like a few fans will come into my, men- into my mentions saying, hey, we actually look pretty good by this. What's going on? And it's really just their good players, which are having good seasons, like to the box, like by the box score stats too. Like not just like some underlying stats that like tell you a player is good when you have to kind of like explain why. But yeah, but you're right about the decisions and the margins. I don't know if that goes I don't know if like the Mark Stahl thing is more of a front office decision or a I, I think decision it's Maurice said, I want X. I need X, Y, and Z. And then Bill Zito's like, I hired Paul Maurice. I'm paying him $3 million a year. I have to give him what he wants. Because I just, also think that that's going to help us. You know, we can't have all of our defensemen, you know, be Brandon Montour. And like, that's fine. But he, but this is the thing. They claim Casey Fitzgerald off of waivers. And when you see that with Florida, you go, okay, they're doing that for a reason. They, they've seen something in their scouting. He hasn't played a game since they claimed him because Mark Stahl cannot possibly be scratched under any circumstances. It's maddening. You know, three of their six defensemen are guys they got basically off the scrap heap for nothing. Two of them were waivers, and Josh Maher is having a pretty solid season. And so Casey Fitzgerald comes in. He's an instant upgrade on Mark Stahl, and he hasn't played a minute for the Panthers. And he just cannot possibly scratch him. It's maddening. Yeah, and I just look at how their defense is structured. They don't really have a, they don't really have a shutdown pair. It's really Forsling and Ekblad who are kind of tasked to do everything. Like they're tasked with offense and they're tasked with shutting guys down. And they're playing like they're playing like Eric Carlson minutes too. So that really wears on the rest of the lineup, especially if you're not, especially if you don't trust pairs you don't trust the second and third pair. So I, I kind of wondered why they didn't throw anybody else or try anybody else in that second pair, aside from Mark Stahl, other than him just being a veteran who can like skate for 18 minutes a game. Cause I don't know. I just look at, I, I sometimes I think about how 
not necessarily easy it is to find like a shutdown defenseman, but a defenseman who you kind of trust to be put in that you put in that three four spot. You trust him to do the basics, keep the front of the net clean, or just kind of help in some way. And I just don't know why they haven't deviated from having Mark Stahl in that role because I kind of look at who they got in the uh, who they got in their system right now. And I mean, there's some talent there. Like Lucas Carlson was a pretty good defenseman in the AHL and he's been waiting forever for a chance. I know he played. He was great last year. We really liked him. And then Paul Maurice sent him down on waivers to the minors. And you're just like, Oh no, what are you doing? Yeah. It was, it was maddening to see that, but also these are the pairs that boring, like when Ekblad was injured, like these are the pairs that have just been the pairs. He doesn't want to change them. And we're begging him to change them. Like, please do, do something different. Even if you're going to play these six, you don't have to set it up this way all the time, every single night. It's yeah, infuriating. Yeah. And, it's, and it's that kind of thing where it feels so reactive, you know, because I think Ekblad and Forsling should be broken up. You look at Forsling's numbers, not just yours, but all the advanced metrics. He's having a really rough year. And he's played better with Brandon Montour. So, play them together, have that be your all offense wild pair. Like you could put, try something different. I don't care what it looks like. I just want to see something a little different than what I'm getting because we know what we're getting now. And it's the same thing with these lines where you're like, okay, we know that it worked for a while. Now it's not, you need to change that. And he doesn't seem to want to. And the power play too, like again, for a month, it was amazing. And since then it's been really bad and they don't want to change it. And it, it, it infuriates me because this team is better than the sum of its parts. If it wasn't for the fact that the decisions that this coaching staff is making seemingly is just, it's dragging them down in the ways that we all feared it would. And yet it's predictably happening. And it's not like he's got Connor Hellebuck to bail him out. The goaltending has been at times good. And other times it's been wildly inconsistent. So I don't, here's my other point, And I wanted to get your opinion on this. Like the talk from some Panthers fans who are more optimistic or more misty eyed, I guess, is to say, okay, this is a year in cap hell. We knew this was going to happen after you trade for Matthew Kachuk. Maybe next year when some of this not great talent in the bottom six and the bottom of the defense core washes out, when we have a little more money, this is a more talented team. And therefore it's not going to be the same way because the best Jets team, the one that made the conference final in 2018 was a really good possession team. You know, they had the ability to play a really solid style. And that was a pretty good team. And that's what we thought, okay, that's what the ceiling of a Paul Maurice team can look like. But I don't wonder legitimately if that's even possible with the things that Paul Maurice is doing, even if there's more talent on the team next year. Because the things he's doing, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily saved by more talent. And that's what worries me, whether this team makes the playoffs or not. Well, from what I remember in Carolina, a lot of uh, what Paul Maurice wanted to do and how much is how successful his teams could be really depended on the health of Yoni Pikkinen. And that was their best puck mover. That was their most durable defenseman, at least as far as playing minutes, he was injured all the time, which kind of goes, which kind of like leans into my point here. Like he depended on Yoni Pikkinen to settle down the defense, make everything go, run the power play, do basically everything, making people like Dennis Seidenberg and Tim Gleason have easier jobs. And when he's out of the lineup, it fell apart and it fell apart quick, like year after year. 
and uh, <clears throat> and I kind of see that with Florida. It's like, oh, I just need this one guy, and then everything will kind of settle into place. Well, I don't know who the guy is to play that three four spot <laughs> with. Uh, for me, for us, it's we're saying we've been saying you know, it's a left hand shot top-ish defensive, you know, defenseman to play with Aaron Ekblad. That's what, you know, Tommy's been asking for for years. And with Uyghur, they, they worked because the coaching staff found a way to make it work. I don't know who that magical left-hand defenseman is. We've thrown out names, but like, that's like, that's been the missing piece for Florida forever. But even then, because of the way Paul Maurice coaches his teams, it doesn't feel like that's going to necessarily unlock everything. Well, especially with like, um, I don't know if so. I don't know if this is how he always has got his guys defend. This is just from what I've watched Florida this year. His defensemen don't really take up much of the ice, they retreat to the front of the net all the time. So maybe he's looking for just a guy who can basically he's just looking for a big body who can clear the crease and then have the forwards do everything else. But that goes back to what I was saying about how it kind of limits your rush opportunities and how much you can create when the game gets into like full swing, especially when you're playing from behind. But I kind of looked at, but when I was looking at how they play, their defensemen, they're very, they're very limited in what they're allowed to do. And most of their play is like, is off puck, which is fine, but that really, it really limits like how much your team can create. And I think, and I think, I don't know, unless he deviates from that, I don't really see how this is. And I don't really see how it's going to improve because it feels like he's going to keep targeting like the same type of player. It's like, oh, we need to get bigger and tougher to make the goaltender's job easier. It's like, yeah, fine. It'll do that for maybe a shift or two, but for the rest of the game, you're still going to be giving up more chances than you create. And you're going to have a hell of a time trying to come back in games too. If this is the type of player you're targeting, because when you're targeting a player like this, you're expecting to play with the lead most of the game. And right now they're, struggling to get to that point and what's really funny is not only you know the fact that they think they have five wins this year okay six now because they beat anaheim six wins when they give up the first goal this year out of whatever their record is and their record after trailing after two periods is 119 and one in the nhl where everybody comes back from deficits they are horrific trying to come back from from deficits and this is what you've been talking about i think another point also is that the forwards when you're asking them to do so much and you're taxing your top guys to do everything, they're just tired. They yeah. don't have unlimited wellsprings of energy to do all that you want to do. Like, there was a game they played in Minnesota recently where they had to work so hard. The top guys were, I mean, a lot of it was special teams, but they work so hard. Then they play a back-to-back in St. Louis against, you know, the Blues who are tearing themselves apart. And, like, they had nothing, absolutely nothing. And you're going okay, I understand you played a really tough game last night, but these are highly trained athletes. This should not happen. And it's because of decisions the coaching staff makes. And it comes down to, I think, this fundamental question I have. I've been thinking about a lot. Is Paul Maurice cut out to coach 2023 National Hockey League hockey? Because I'm like, they could make the playoffs this year. And I don't think my opinion would change because everybody in the East is vomiting all over themselves to get anywhere near the wild card spots. Like it's lava. But do you think Paul Maurice is cut out to coach 2023 national hockey league hockey? Because the more I see of this with this very talented group, even with its flaws, I don't think the answer to that is yes. And I think the longer this goes on, the more I'm convinced 
the games passed him by. He's been coaching in the league for nearly three decades. At some point, the league changes too much for a guy who's set in his ways. It's, I mean, it's hard for me to say just from not being in the locker room and talking to him like every day, like I'm sure some people do, but just from what I see from the outside is they're, what is probably the most important, the most important thing with coaching more than systems is you have every, every player needs to be bought in. And I just don't really see that with Florida from just the variance in how they play. Like they do, it seems like they play one way when things are going well, but when things go off the rails, they're like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do here. And they just kind of retreat to this. They retreat, get into bad habits, turn the puck over, take penalties. It goes like back to the defenseman, just kind of whenever they turn the puck over or whenever there's like a little miscue in their own zone, they just go right to the front of the net. Sometimes they run into each other while the forwards just kind of chase the they chase players around the perimeter without applying pressure because if they apply pressure, they think they might, they might get beat and they are more afraid of giving up a goal than creating one. And I kind of, I don't know. It kind of tells me all I need to know as far as like where this team is, as far as how much they trust the coaching staff. Cause right now it doesn't really seem like it doesn't really seem like the buy-in is there. And I feel like that's probably the most, that's probably the most, dangerous part or the most dangerous place to be in if you're like trying to make the playoffs or if you're trying to make a run in the playoffs because if like your players don't really if your players are kind of deviating from the system or just kind of freelancing or just not really sure if they trust like what they're being told to do then that's so that's probably a bigger problem than a coach having the wrong system I think and you pointed out to me and in the story was I don't think they're necessarily quitting on their coach. I mean, the Panthers have had a million coaches in the last. Barkov's had eight coaches since he came to Florida in 2013. You know, there's a bunch of reasons for that. But to me, I don't think it's that they quit on him. I just don't think they have any idea what they want to do. Exactly. Habits also come from, you know, the Quenville brunette system, which really works for them. And I can't blame them for thinking it's going to work again, you know? And so there's a dissonance in what they're being told and what their habits are and the kinds of players they are versus, you know, the kinds of things that they think they have to do. But I look at how, you know, Tampa has evolved. I mean, a lot of that's talent acquisition and same with Colorado, but like when this team is at its best, it can definitely be a kind of different version of that. But like, I just wonder if the dissonance there leads to that confusion and if this team had to think at any point last year when they had to start thinking about what they had to do when they weren't playing on instinct they got beat and that's how tampa beat them and that's happening a lot more this year yeah and i think it's that and just the just the the roster issues around the margins that are just adding up because like i said earlier if you go by a game by game basis they dominate sometimes overall Overall, their numbers are fine, like especially at five on five. Their power play and penalty kill are they're not great, but they're not bottom 10. So like overall, it's like, okay, this is a pretty good team. But when you go on a game by game basis, you see like where the cracks are showing up. It's like they dominate one game at five on five. They give up three power play goals or they control the first 20 minutes and then just let the lead, let the game slip away in the second period and then kind of just pile up shots the rest of the game without scoring. So I think there is, I do think, 
I mean, I, from the player's perspective, I definitely understand if they are deviating because last, the last two years, if you're a veteran on that team, you've been cruising in the regular season with like this, with the quote, the Quinville brunette system. And then someone comes in saying, okay, we're going to completely, we're going to completely nuke this because we had a bad, we struggled against Tampa Bay in the playoffs. I mean, Grant, they got swept, but still, I don't know if, if a guy comes in saying, saying, okay, we're going to completely change what worked for 82 games last year. Yeah. I'm going to be a little skeptical of what you're saying because like you still have to get to the playoffs. Before and it's funny. And it's funny because I don't think they've entirely done that in some ways. Like if they, if the system was totally fundamentally broken, you would think that their numbers would crater. Maybe it's just because they have incredible possession players, but they're not. They're still a top 10 possession team. And the broadcasts, everybody will, if you watch the Panthers broadcast, they'll tell you, oh, they're number one in inner slot shots in the league. And they're like bringing all these numbers. It's something the team definitely wants you to know about. So like, no, our advanced numbers are pretty good. But then people are seeing the dissonance with the way they play. And again, there's something fundamentally off here. And I don't think making the playoffs in the whatever the heck is happening at the bottom of the East is going to change what's fundamentally, you know, busted about this team. And they would need to make incredible acquisitions this offseason for me to think that this can be, you know, that they could really challenge up a level in the East that is still insanely good if Palmer is still the head coach. And I don't want to sit here saying, you know, that, that this team hasn't, you know, totally been a mess like Matthew Kachuk has been what insane yep wait what's the the way would you describe it because like if they were actually in a playoff spot Matthew Kachuk would probably be second in MVP voting he wouldn't win it obviously he should probably be second if the Panthers actually make the playoffs like that's how good he's been and that's because he does not have to play a rush game in order to be successful funny how that works you know and like it's amazing to me that how much they won that trade. And I do want to quickly, before we wrap this up, just touch on a couple of other topics like that. You know, a lot of the, like Verhage's had a 30 goal season, like most of their moves are still not terrible, but it's the marginal stuff that just kills them. And in a league where, as you say, this isn't a league where you can get away with that. This is where they are. And I think it, and I think also that's just fundamentally why it's been hard to look at a team that's got, Really decent five-on-five numbers. Especially teams are mediocre, but they're not awful, although they go on some stretches being good and being terrible. And the goaltending is, it's not great, but it's not, you know, the worst in the league. And that's why this team's kind of stuck because it's those things you don't see until you really watch the games. And it's not to say, you know, the old Steve Simmons watch the game stuff. It's one of those, you kind of have to watch the games and put the numbers together to figure out what the right mix is in terms of describing why this team's such a mess. It's not something that's easily known from just looking at stats is basically what I'm saying. Right. It's kind of just how the game, it's how the games go and the sequencing of events really, where you can kind of see where things are falling apart. Like that's why I go back to, that's why I like looking at Micah's stats by, by uh, what the score is. When I saw that, when I saw that chart, I'm like, that says everything you need to know. Because no other chart looks like hills and valleys. It's either they start off all right, and then it goes off a cliff. Or, all right, here we go, and it's going up. You know, it's nothing looks like the Panthers chart. It is, it is bizarrely unique. 
And like, I can't remember another team in the league that's ever looked like that when it comes to this. Like uh, the closest team I found was Nashville and Nashville is worse with the score tied and they're even worse when they're playing from behind. So, and their coach is also not very good. And you kind of look at where they are in the standings. It's a bubble uh, bubble team. So perennially, you know, mid team. It's and a bubble just... team with one with superstar talent at the top in the OC. So yeah, I mean, uh, Nashville ran them out of the building on Saturday, which was just again, it goes back to they play a wonderful game in Washington with urgency. They look really good, and then against the Predators, who are not good, they just vomit all over themselves. Just insanely frustrating. There are a couple more things I want to talk to you about before we get you out of here, because obviously I don't want to have you just talk about Paul Maurice. That's boring. Um, we talked about Matthew Kachuk and how amazing he's been, but I want to ask you about Jonathan Huberto and the Flames, because they're in a weirdly similar position to Florida where they can't find any consistency. But the Huberto stuff, actually, with Alan Walsh's comments, it's in the front of my mind. Do you have a good reason for why he's struggling so much this year? We all still love him, but like I didn't expect it to be this rough for him in Calgary even though Daryl Sutter asks his teams to do very different things than he was ever asked to do in Florida, no matter the infinite number of coaches he had. So, so what's going on there? Yeah. Well, I feel like last year was kind of a supernova supernova year with Huberto. Like uh, his usual level is not that good. Like from like, from what he played last year, just like one of the best players in the league, probably top, probably like a top one of the, probably the best winger in the league last year, aside from, Kachuk and a few others but this year he's just been very I, I don't know it just doesn't look like it's a good fit there from what I've seen maybe it'll take a year maybe it'll take a year for him to adjust because he's such a pass first player and it's all about developing that chemistry with line mates and last year he had a lot more speed to work with with Duclair on his wing for well, the last two years actually Whereas this season's kind of been a revolving door of line mates. I know they're trying him with Kadri now. I thought that would work. I thought that would work a lot better than it has. But from what I've seen with the Flames, Huberto just doesn't really have a lot of time to kind of make the plays that he needs to be, that he needs to like be effective. And when he does, it's just the line mates aren't on the same page. There's a lot of instances where the puck just hops over to fully stick or he settles to, he tries to settle the puck down to make a play and then boom, it's gone. Cause like the pace is a lot quicker in Calgary than it was in Florida. Cause like he, it's interesting. Cause like Florida was such a rush team last year, but Huberto is one of those guys who can slow the game down and kind of make it a lot, make it a lot more deliberate. Whereas in Calgary, he hasn't really had the time to do that. And he's, I mean, he's a little snake bitten, but overall like his five on five stats are kind of like not Jonathan Huberto level. So I do. Can it all be described as just he's been in Florida for his entire career in a very different situation. Now he's moving to Calgary. There's a lot of pressure on him because of that contract. And it's just one of those things where, you know, it's going to take him a year plus to get acclimated, no matter who the coach is, because that's kind of what I hope is happening, because I don't want this to go the way I'm fearing it's going to go, because I love this player. You know, I had so much fun watching him play for all these years. He's been one of those bright spots. And then to see what's happening in Calgary is just, it's just kind of depressing, honestly. Well, not only that, it just doesn't seem like, it it seems like the team is really struggling for life without Goudreau and Kachuk. Cause I mean, that's two, that's basically a top line that they lost. And you look at, 
I mean, you look at Elias Lindholm this year, he's not scoring as many goals, but he's setting up a lot more. And uh, it's, I don't know, it just seems like it's a, it just seems like it's a bad mix all, all the way around up there. From that, what is that just a coaching thing that can be changed if they hired somebody different to Daryl Sutter or is it, you know? I mean, it's been a roster revamp too. Like that's the other thing because uh, they had a lot, I don't know. They had so many things go right for them last year. Just players shooting the lights out. Huberto having that. I mean, Goudreau having that insane season. And I just wonder if, uh, I just wonder if it'll take a year for like the players to adjust to like what the new normal is up there. But with Huberto, it just, the play doesn't run through him. Like it does in like it did in Florida. And I just wonder if it's a lack of just not the right talent mix. Like as, Duclair is such a Duclair is such like a lethal player off, off the rush and Calgary doesn't have a lot of guys like that like they had a great season out of Mangiapane last year but he's more of a checking line player and he's attached at the hip to Michael Backlund so he's not going to be playing with Huberdeau but I don't know just like I said it it just looks like uh it just looks like somebody kind of figuring things out and maybe it, maybe he will over time. I I have to mention the uh, my his major league soccer season is starting. I listen to a, a podcast MLS Extra Time. One of the hosts' name is David Goss, and there's a, a way in MLS because it's such a different league to everybody else that you need at least a year to get acclimated, and then your second year is when you make the leap. They call it the David Goss theorem, and I have never seen a player that I hope is more of that than Jonathan Uberdo in Calgary because I don't want to see this player who I love and also is making a ton of money starting next year going to go down this road of just steadily fiddling out because it just isn't going to work there for whatever reason. I hope that's not the case. But also, like, he kind of drove the play a little bit too when he was with Barkoff in in Florida. You know, they did a lot of really good work together, but, like, those players had chemistry built up over years, and he just doesn't have that the only player we would have even somewhat chemistry with is Uyghur and that's, and Uyghur has been fine. Like he's just been Mackenzie Uyghur in Calgary. It's just, it feels like everything's off there. And when you're a beat off, you get to play games where you look really good and then lose to the flyers at home. And like with Huberto, he's not, um, I like, I feel like chemistry rapport with line mates is such an important thing with Huberto just because he's such a pass first player and just he. I don't know. He he really relies on making deceptive plays that really nobody else is thinking about. And I think maybe the line mates in Calgary haven't adjusted. And he's also just not a possession driver. Like if he's not setting up, if he's not setting up plays and just kind of creating on offense, he's not really a guy you expect to go out there and check and just play like the the Sutter type of hockey. I mean, not not saying like Goudreau is that either, but I think uh, there's definitely some kind of disconnect there, but he's also just, he's a very different type of player than Johnny Gaudreau. Cause like Johnny Gaudreau, the play always goes through him. Like he, like he's the one that's driving play in the neutral zone. He's going 200 feet up, up and down the ice to kind of create off the rush and kind of set things up from there. Whereas Huberto is not exactly, he, he lets his line mates do a little more of like the puck carrying and maybe Calgary just needs to find another player that's not Goudreau, but somebody that can kind of carry the puck for him, like a Duclair did for 
did for Huber the last couple of years. And obviously Barkoff did that a lot when he was on that line too. Um, and the other thing about the Panthers, I guess, to say is that they haven't had Anthony Duclair all year. And I wonder what it looks like when the top nine has him back. Although I also kind of fear what Paul Maurice might do to him too. Because, yeah, Anthony Duclair is not a player who is going to play Paul Maurice-style hockey. But I love Anthony Duclair, and I hope that he gets back very soon. I Just a couple other things before we get out of here. It's really stark, the Paul Maurice stuff, when you look to Winnipeg and how well they're playing, and obviously the Devils with Andrew Burnett, in spite of you know getting caught for DUI on a golf cart. Um, the Devils I have to ask about because I think this team is destined to end its season the same way all the Florida seasons ended in the Quenville um, Brunette system, which is playoff frustration. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be guaranteed. It just feels that way because the Devils feel like the Panthers did last year in many ways with the way they're playing on offense, even though they had their peaks and valleys. But is there, so, is there something fundamentally different that I'm missing with that team? Because I think if they played New Jersey, uh, they had to play the Rangers in the playoffs, I think the Rangers would beat that stuffing out of them because I look at them as the Panthers of the last couple of years. Am I viewing them through the wrong prism? Well, I think Jack Hughes is good enough to kind of win a series on his own. I mean, granted, he hasn't been in the playoffs yet, so maybe I shouldn't say that, but he's pro he's like maybe the the best player I've seen come into the league since McDavid, just with how much he just with how dominant he's been this year. But when he's not there, like things have looked really bad for the Devils the past like two months or so. They really haven't been great. Some of the cracks in the foundation are showing there. Uh, Jack Hahn did a really good piece on this uh, a video breakdown to kind of where things go wrong and why they're struggling so much to control play. And a lot of it goes with how their breakout is their forwards like to fly the zone and their defense. All they really have to do is chip the puck off the glass to kind of get it out. But that leads to a lot of turnovers and them being stuck in their own zone, which is where they're not, they're not the strongest, but they've gotten better like adding John Marino <clears throat> and uh Hamilton's had an outstanding season there too, but it definitely limits like how it definitely puts a damper compared to how good they were early in the season. Then they're just not, they're not great at creating off the four check when they have to dump the puck in and go get it. They are kind of just a, they're kind of just like an all gas, no breaks team. Like they're either the create off, either the create off the rush or nothing's happening. That guy so, feels like I, Florida to me in the last couple of years. Except when Jack Hughes is out there. He's the one that can kind of create the sustained offense just because he's that good. But I, I just, I, I don't know. I think they might, they seem like a team that might flame out in the playoffs just from how one dimensional they are. Granted they're, they're heavily in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes too. So would that change it that much for me? Because like when you at, when I saw Florida add to its group, it added to their one dimension. It didn't really add another dimension, you know? Meyer like, is, I mean, I think Meyer's different, though, just because he's so good at getting the puck back and creating the sustained offense that they really lack. Whereas, like, whereas, like right now, they have, like, Sharon Govich, uh, Satterlin digging pucks out, whereas Meyer can kind of add a different, Meyer can add a different dimension to that just with how, how strong he is on the boards and how good he is at kind of driving the nets. But it really just depends on if they win the sweepstakes there because it sounds like they're competing with like four other teams to get him. That's true. I, I would 
I don't want to see the Devils go out the way that Florida has gone out in the playoffs and then chase the same nonsense that the Panthers kind of have. But like, that's, again, it's a fear I have because I've watched them play and I'm like, ah, yes, that's the Panthers from last year. I know how that ended. I don't want to see it end the same way because everybody wants to be the team that evolves in the playoffs. And I just think that teams are struggling to figure out that Tampa, Colorado, how do you actually evolve in the playoffs kind of mold? And nobody seemed to crack the code yet. I'm going to get you out of here on just, is there anything else this season, topic, player, whatever, that is most fascinating to you for whatever reason? Because this has been a kind of weird year in the league. There's a lot of, as you said, talked about the Panthers being a very odd team. You know, you have all these other teams that are kind of odd in specific ways, you know, like Calgary struggling in the ways they are. Is there any one topic or any one player that's just fascinated you this year for whatever reason? Well, this year, I feel like it's more of just, I feel like the term survive the season is more just alive than ever this year. Because when I look at the West, I'm just seeing so many teams go through the motions, but we know they're going to be in the playoffs, like in a few months, like Colorado, just absurdly injured all season, but they just kind of had to survive that. And now the team is healthy and they can kind of, it looks like they're going to coast to a playoff spot because nobody else in that conference can get can get their shit together. <laughs> I mean, it feels like nobody can get their stuff together. Like there's only like the six teams in the East, they got their stuff together and made their run early and they're fine. But then the wild card race is just a bunch of teams vomiting on themselves. And in the West, it's just, there's so many teams that decided Bedard was better. And like just nine teams competing for eight spots, maybe 10 if you stretch to Nashville, but I don't think you should. So it's just, you know, it's kind of weird in that way. Like last year, the East playoff teams were all settled in December, but there was, and there was something going on in the West. I don't know. Like to Travis shows pointed out this year that all, that six teams that are in the top three of their division in the East all have more points than anybody in the West does right now. Yep. That's and weird, but it just seems like the, like Vegas is kind of going through the motions. LA has not been great this year, but they're probably going to make the playoffs. I the mean, Seattle's had a fun crappy goaltending. They've had crappy goaltending all year. And but they're like, the highest scoring team in the league with like they're the highest scoring team in the league after being one of the worst last year, which is kind of cool. Pittsburgh is a very odd team. I don't know what is going on there. That is just like if you had, I'll get you out of here on this. If you got to pick two teams right now, and this obviously because we got trade deadline coming up. If you got to pick two teams that are actually going to win those wild card spots and be sacrificed to Carolina and Boston. Which two would it be? Because I haven't the slightest clue who it's going to be. None of them are good. None, so none I, of them are good. I'm going to say the Islanders because they have Sorokin and he can carry them through, through like a 10-game stretch where they just get in. And they can score enough to kind of... Even with Barzal out? I, yeah, that's a good point. But that's what I'm saying. Know, they're like, it's they're just, better than Washington. Like, I don't trust Oh, they them. look so bad. Washington is just a mess right now, and they're injured also. Ovechkin is Ovechkin's also out of the lineup because his father passed away, and I don't know when I don't know when he's coming back. So mm-hmm. just to and the other really thing is like story. Detroit. Yeah, it's very sad, but it's like also Detroit and Buffalo are like technically in it. But I look at Detroit, them and I wa- I watch them play, and I watch them play Florida. I'm like, you stink. The the Paul Maurice Panthers are railroading you. You have no business being in this. Buffalo is kind of Buffalo is still figuring out they have the offense to really to give teams trouble, but they're 
I don't know. I feel like they kind of beat up on a lot of bad teams and then they struggle when they have it. Whenever, whenever they're ready to kind of, whenever they need to like make that step or win a game to like get them in the playoffs, they just seem to struggle. And that, I don't know, maybe they'll break it, but maybe they'll break it and they'll get in, but I don't know. But I do love their, I do love their offense and just how much they, and just how like potent it is and Darlene's having an outstanding season but I just give the Islanders the edge because of Sorokin at this point and who would be two god do I have to pick one you don't have to if you don't want <laughs> to I won't I won't make you put it I won't make you put it in the public sphere because I honestly I don't know either like the, this Panthers team has no business Buffalo being let's go with Buffalo like I'd sure. rather see them in the playoffs than any of these other teams well I'd like to see Matthew Kachuk in the playoffs but beyond that there yeah and I mean, like, that's the other thing that's funny about the Huberto trade is that Kachuk goes to Florida and is, again, maybe the second best forward in the league at times or third best forward in the league. So he might be the best winger, you know, just. And, I mean, he, and, and he might be, been, honestly, he, he, I don't know, who would you take above him? Well, in terms of wingers, I, yeah, oh, I can't think of well, right now. I'm trying to think of one and I'm not figuring it out. <laughs> like, is there any, is there anybody? Cause I don't, I don't think so. Like he he's come to Florida and been, I mean, be, like they, when they said they were trading for a unicorn, they actually got that right. The other reason why I dislike Paul Marie so much is that this kind of Matthew Kachuk season does not deserve to be on a mid team. Right. If they had him last year, he would be like, Oh, if they had him last yeah. year, they probably win the cup. If you swap out Huberto for Kachuk last year, they're probably winning the Stanley cup. I mean, the only like, one I can really think of is Kucherov. Which yeah, I Nylander's having just a remarkable season too. That's, I think for the thing with Kachuk and why I would probably pick him, and I will legitimately get you out of here. This is because like the Panthers had to play one way to win, and Matthew Kachuk does not have to play one way to win, and the things he does are so unique compared to anybody. There's no other player in the league like him, and that's other, why it. Well, I guess the other factor is I don't really know if Jason Robertson is a winger or a center because he they don't really play that way in Dallas. I I would think of Robertson as a, as a center. Like I, I kind of think of him as a center in that way, you know, like I kind of like all these other superstars are like they're, they're centers, but Kachuk kind of, he doesn't play like a center, but like he does things that you would think your centers would do. Like it's, it's kind of like an old school, like hold up striker in soccer. That is just unbelievably good at it. You cannot get the puck off of him. And he just sees the game in a way like for a team that usually plays on the rush, he'll slow down in the neutral zone and you're going to go like, what are you doing? And then you think the pass he's making like, oh, that's what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. It's, there's no other player in the league that can do that really from the wing. It's, it's remarkable. And that season's being wasted because Palmeries. Anyway, well, Corey. Well, they still might get in. We'll see. They, they still might get in uh, and get sacrificed to the Wolves. Do you, do you have hope that the Hurricanes are going to do the thing in the playoffs this year? If they don't do it, if they don't this year, they're going to have a lot of problems. Although I said that last year, and then they got Brent Burns, who has been outstanding. So only the Hurricanes, man, only the Hurricanes can do that. It's like if we combine some of Florida's offense and Carolina's defense, you would have the most unstoppable team in the league, but they can't figure the other side of the puck out. 
Yeah, they did for a little this year, but that kind of dried up over time. But we'll that, see. That we'll patch already thing's frustrating. I do have to say the stadium series was pretty cool. That, it and that was looked cool. pretty awesome. I and as somebody who watched, you know, as a former ACC fan. What? You know, oh, just, yeah, yeah, Maryland's big. Yeah, team. and I'm still thinking it's been almost 10 years now, and I'm watching this. I'm going, you know what? Your team lost to Maryland in the mail bowl. That was funny. But that that actually looked like one of the legitimately cool outdoor games that they've done in a while outdoor games really only work if it's at a football stadium in my opinion but i know why i know why the league doesn't want to do that with like it comes to the the winter classic and i I get it but like i think the league should really at this point since you've been to pretty much almost all the cool stadiums other than maybe like a couple you got to try to do the wacky stuff like really go out there and get that crazy stuff going you know like try obviously they need to do an outdoor game in florida and they're scared to do it but i'm like do an outdoor game in like an sec football stadium go hog wild you know really go all out and make this an event i know I it's not a TV the, product i was hoping the one in seattle would be at husky stadium because i that, thought uh, that environment is so cool like it's yeah out of water. oh that's a lot of fun i thought I I've said that they need to do a vancouver seattle game at lumen field and i don't know when that's going to happen it should but well, they're at, doing it at Safeco or T-Mobile Park this year. Which yeah, it's fine, I, I know. I know why they're doing it. Just... I know why they're doing it. It, it will be cool because it's Seattle, but I want them to do the game at Lumen Field because I see what those games look like when it's soccer and they can have that atmosphere. But uh, the, the league just needs to get over its fear about, you know, doing the outdoor game in Florida. Like that's just got to happen. You need to do it. Don't be afraid because one of these teams is going to fall off then before you get to that point. And that's frustrating. Anyway, Corey, where can people find your work? I'm sorry for keeping you longer than I intended to. That's <laughs> so my you fault. Can find me at, you can find me at shutdown line on Twitter. You can also go to all three zones.com. There's a link to subscribe to my micro step project this year. If you want to get access to all sort of, you know, all the things that I track all the uh, tableau visits and such. I just, I just actually uploaded my player cards this year. So you can see how, Every player in the league looks through the lens of microstats, through like zone exit, zone entries, passes. You can also, there's also team, there's also team cards now. So you can look at how teams compare, which is cool. I never did anything like this before. And I, I love that. I mean, I wish I had the money as a broke broadcaster to subscribe to all of these people's work because it's so good. But uh, if, and, and, and this is no offense to Micah or Jay Fresh or the Evolving Hockey Twins, they're all awesome. But if I have to pick my favorite, it's probably Corey because of those microstats. And you just, those are, those tell you so much in ways that even some of the other stuff you could get in the public sphere can't. And also, I mean, you've been on this podcast a lot. You put up with my nonsense. So that's another reason. But anyway, Corey, it's awesome to have you. Thank you for coming on. It's always worth the wait. Yeah, thanks for having me.